0: to deny one's
1: history is to deny one's existence. When black people achieve emancipation in the United States, it's the greatest event in American history. No other event is even close. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of
0: liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly.
2: Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for the sixth annual Created Equal event. This year, focusing on stretching towards freedom a conversation about Florida Emancipation Day presented in partnership with Leon County Government, Florida Humanities and the Tallahassee Museum. This podcast episode is the first in a series of episodes that we'll be presenting in partnership with Florida Humanities. So make sure you're subscribed to Village Squarecast so you can enjoy those upcoming programs made possible by Florida Humanities. Now, back to this program. Each year, we join up with Leon County government to present Created Equal. And this year, it took place on Florida's Emancipation Day, May 20th. And here we are now, just having celebrated Juneteenth last weekend. And so, we thought this was the perfect time to air this program on the podcast to celebrate emancipation and to talk about what it means to be free. And to continue the learning process about how freedom came to be for enslaved African Americans. Now, I bet at least some of you are a little confused about the difference between May 20th and Juneteenth. Well, no worries. You are certainly not alone. And we got you covered. More specifically, one of our panelists, Ms. Altamese Barnes, has definitely got you covered. Ms. Barnes, founder of the John G. Riley House, has been celebrating May 20th, Florida's Emancipation Day, all her life. And as the focus on Juneteenth grew, she and others who know and celebrate Florida's history worked hard to set the record straight and make May 20th a day to be celebrated far and wide around the state. Check it out.
3: It's not just a one-day event and it's over. The emancipation was more of a process. On the the signing of the official document on January 1st, 1863, there were certain states in rebellion, resistant to the order. The Confederates in these states did not consider Abraham Lincoln to be their president. So that meant that for another Two years, from 1863 to 1865, there had to be an enforcement reading, and that's where we get to Florida, Georgia, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and other the three or four other rebelling states. A general union general was sent in. The one sent to Tallahassee was Union General Edward McCook. The enslaved and the slaveholders gathered downtown in the House area. And from that date, May 20, 1865, celebrations have been held at locations across, not just in Tallahassee, but across the state of Florida, eventually.
2: I can't wait for you guys to hear more from Miss Barnes about her personal experiences growing up and celebrating this important day, as well as just more history that we can all benefit from. I certainly learned a lot. But for anybody who's still sitting there, like, but what about Juneteenth? That is the day that the Union troops arrived in Texas to announce the freeing of enslaved African Americans. So it's also a very important day and one to be celebrated. But for Floridians, May 20th is our official day. You'll get a proper introduction to Miss Alchemese Barnes in just a minute along with the rest of the panel, Dr. Larry Rivers of Florida A&M University and Dr. Paul Ortiz of University of Florida. And Keith Simmons of Florida Humanities is here to facilitate the discussion. But before we turn it over to Keith, we have some celebrating to do. You'll get to hear a performance by the Godby High School a cappella choir. And joining them is singer-songwriter Royce Lovett a local celebrity in our hometown who happened to be recently featured on The Voice. Now, because this program is a little different than most with special performances and voices from around the state, we have Royal King from Leon County and Eliza Chase from the Village Square to be your MCs. So time to turn it over to Royal and Eliza. Good
4: evening. I am Royal King with Leon County.
5: And I'm Eliza Chase with the Village Square.
4: On behalf of Leon County, the Village Square and Tallahassee Museum, we'd like to welcome you to Created Equal, stretching toward freedom, a conversation about Florida Emancipation Day. This is the sixth year Leon County has served as a catalyst and convener for this important community event.
5: But this year, Created Equal looks a little different. We wanna thank you for joining us online as we welcome not only citizens from Leon County, but people from across the state to commemorate our history on Florida Emancipation Day.
4: Later tonight, you'll hear how our past connects us to where we are now. With performances by the Gabi High School Choir, Royce Lovett, the Omega Lamplighters and more. We hope this celebration of Florida Emancipation Day inspires you as much as learning about this history has inspired us.
5: We want to express our gratitude for the team at Florida Humanities for making tonight's program possible. If you're not familiar with their extraordinary work across the state of Florida, we urge you to visit them online at floridahumanities.org.
4: It's now my pleasure to introduce the chairman of the Leon County Commission, Rick Miner.
6: Thank you, Royal, and thanks to Village Square for the great partnership that makes tonight's statewide program possible. Good evening, everybody. My name is Rick Miner. I'm the chairman of the Leon County Board of County Commissioners, Uh, and I'm humbled to be here with you all on our sixth annual Created Equal event commemorating our Florida Emancipation Day holiday. I also want to take a moment to recognize our amazing panel, all of whom you'll hear about during the program, with Althamese Barnes, Dr. Paul Ortiz, Dr. Larry Rivers, and Keith Simmons. We are so excited to have you and many other leaders from across the state with us for what is surely to be a -a one-of-a-kind program. I'd also like to recognize my colleagues on the board who joined us virtually And others watching from home as well as our county administrator Vince Long. In public service to our county we have the honor of working daily on the issues and the causes that matter most to you and that's why Leon County government is proud to host this event with Village Square. For the last six years we've been engaging citizens asking hard questions and breaking down barriers. I'd also like to thank our staff here at Leon County as well as staff at the Village Square for putting on this year's events And for creating opportunities for civil discourse to flourish we started the created equal program in 2015 to host a frank conversation on race and it has continued to grow each year with thousands of attendees although we live in a world with racial social and religious discrimination we continue to see progress and to seek progress we are never done tonight we will come face to face with our communities and our state's own difficult history you will hear much more later But tonight we will discuss Florida Emancipation Day, how it came to be, and the important legacy it presents for us all. And I'm proud to live in a community that promotes diversity awareness and multiculturalism, and to live in a community in which our leaders aren't afraid to confront tough issues. Now I'd like to turn it over to Commissioner Carolyn Cummings.
7: Thank you, Chairman Miner, and good evening to everyone. I welcome all of you who have tuned in on this historic day and thank you for joining us for this very unique program. This evening, the history of Florida will be explored through the lens of Emancipation Proclamation as of the date and time it was first read right here in Tallahassee at the Knott House. The tradition of remembering Florida's Emancipation Day has been supported by so many people in our collective community And we will use that tradition and historical reminder to reflect on where we are now as a nation, a state, a county, and yes, as a community at large. For the last 156 years, we have been striving for justice and equality, and we must continue in that fight while recognizing the importance of May 20th. I want to acknowledge my friend Mrs. Altamese Barnes, who you will hear from later in the program, but it was her strong commitment and conviction that led to May 20th being declared a holiday by the Leon County Government. I also want to thank the continued focus of the Night House and the John G. Rowley Foundation along with so many other local partners who have collectively made Emancipation Day a very meaningful time in Leon County. Our program tonight represents just a small portion of their greater works and commitments. Again, I thank all of you for joining us tonight, and I thank everyone who contributed to the success of this program including all of our very, very distinguished panelists. So I will now turn it back to Chairman Miner. Thank you very much
8: and enjoy the program.
6: Thank you, Commissioner Carolyn Cummings. And now we welcome Commissioner you, Mr. Dozier to share her thoughts. Mr.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and good evening to everyone attending tonight's performance across the state. Created Equal is one of the most important and ambitious annual programs the county hosts. I have been proud to participate over the last six years and have enjoyed our conversations bringing family and others together. Previous programs have featured nationally known actors, local faces of color, deep difficult conversations and even a performance by Talsey Symphony Orchestra and the Morehouse Glee Club that featured a note to understanding that gave the voice to black men who were shot by law enforcement. Each program challenges how we think and how we talk about race equity. This year, like so many other things, and has already been referenced, Created Equal is a bit different. And I'd like to give a special shout out to our IT staff who has managed all of the virtual meetings this year. While we can't have direct conversations at the table, we can still connect with each other through this powerful program that explores Florida Emancipation Day. As a Leon County Commissioner, I share with my colleagues and take great pride that we were the first county in Florida to name Florida Emancipation Day a holiday. We have led the way across the state in recognizing this important day with a lot of efforts by our community and many incredible activists, and there is no better way to showcase the inaugural celebration than through Creative Equal. Both the city and county recognize today as an official holiday, and I also want to thank those local businesses that stepped up to recognize this important day as well. And finally, as my colleagues have done, I'd like to thank the Village Square for their work to make today's panel happen. At the county, we know we do our best work when we involve our whole community. And the Village Square has been a catalyst and an incredible partner for these great programs. Thank you to both Liz Joyner and Eliza Chase for their leadership and for making today a reality. So please everyone enjoy tonight's incredible program and in the spirit of created equal, make what you hear today inform your actions tomorrow. Thank you very much. Back to you, Mr. Chair.
6: Thank you, Commissioner Dozier. Thank you for uh, everyone for joining us tonight. We look forward to the stories that will be shared and for each of you to share your own. Now I'll ask Royal and Eliza to continue with tonight's programming. Thank you everyone for being here.
4: Thank you, Chairman Minor, uh, Commissioner Cummings and Commissioner Dozier. It was the Leon County Board of County Commissioners' decision to make May 20th a holiday that brings us all here tonight.
5: Now as we move forward with the programming, you'll see many community voices joining together to express our past, present, and examine where we may be going in the future.
4: Now as promised, before we move into our panel, please enjoy the God be Choir and Royce Lovett singing Lift Every Voice and Sing, followed by an explanation of our local history with Jarvis Roger
9: Lift every voice and sing. your earth and heaven. The darkness has oh, taught
3: us, seen us, us through, full of the hope oh, and the oh. present
9: that's brought. Chase me
3: right, felt in the days when old, unborn, and died. Yet, with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our the died.
7: We have.
10: Over a way which the tears have been
9: watered We have come, come treading our path Through the blood of the slow Out from the gloomy past Till now we stay in that land Where the white gleam of our bright star Is cast
2: And now, a few words about our history from Sergeant Major Jarvis Rozier, retired U.S. Army and president of the Colored Troops Education Project.
11: Glad to be with you all today here at the historic Knott House, where an historic occasion happened on May 20th, 1865, when General McCook rode into Leon County, into Tallahassee with his dismounted cavalry unit out of Macon, Georgia, on May 10th to read the Emancipation Proclamation on the, on the steps of this knot House right here. After reading the Emancipation Proclamation, um, they went to the Capitol, lowered the Confederate flag and raised the Union flag, um, and then making an end to slavery here in the state of Florida. I am president and founder of the 2nd Infantry Regiment, in United States Color Troop, Living History Association, and Reenactment Unit, and affiliate of the John Gilmore Riley Museum and the Florida African American Heritage Preservation Network. Our mission is to preserve, protect, promote, educate, and interpret the accomplishments of the many African-Americans and abolitionists that fought to end the tyranny of slavery. We have to remember that slavery did not die by natural cause. We also have to remember that history is not objective. It is definitive. So the facts are facts. events that happen, the events that happen. Here in Tallahassee in Leon County, Emancipation was read, and now since that day, in 1865, originally in 1867, organizations here in Leon County started celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation and celebrating up until this day. Many organizations have events that are going on. Uh, there's an event that my organization does also. The Emancipation Proclamation transformed the war. It allowed African-Americans to fight during the war. It allowed African-Americans to bear arms for the Union forces. Frederick Douglass was a great orator and an abolitionist with in his speeches one way he spoke, he said, Give a black man the brass US letters upon his chest, eagles on his button, a musket on his shoulder, and bullets in his pocket. There's none on this earth can deny he has earned the right to citizenship in these United States. It transformed the character of the war and made the United States Colored true in May twenty second, eighteen sixty three a reality. It changed the character of the war in that sense. Right here in Leon County, the County Commission has made it a holiday on May 20th, 1865. And on September 20th, they made that a holiday to celebrate emancipation that was taking place right here in Leon County. The city of Tallahassee followed suit and made May 20th and that has a state holiday, a paid holiday. And also the Florida legislature is working to make May 20th a state holiday as well. And well should be because that is the day that the Floridians got the word, even though it was nearly two and a half years later, that all slaves were freed. The over sixty-two thousand slaves in the state of Florida. This history is very, very important, and I find myself, at many times, trying to getting the different organizations, different crowds, and different levels, of age, as young and old. And there's something that I usually do with the young kids that bring them into it, because you know when you go to schools, and I go to schools, it's kind of itchy and etchy, but you bring people into the reality of what it meant. You put them in that place. There was a form of prayer that was done by one of the United States color troops called the soldier's prayer. And if I make sure, it said, let me live so that when I die, I might have manners. And I shall know what to say when I meet my heavenly Lord. Say, let me live with the musket in one hand and the Bible in the other. So that if I should die at the muzzle of the musket. Die in the water or die on the land, I shall know that I had my blessed Jesus in my hand, and I had no fear. That I left my wife and little children in the land of bondage. I hear my little ones cry every night, where, oh, where is my father? But when I die, and the blessed morning rises, my feet shall stand in thy glory. bid one foot in the water and one foot on the land. And then I shall see my wife and little children once again. Many of the African Americans in the United States Color Troop soldiers who actually fought here at the Battle of Natural Bridge in Leon County went to battle not knowing that they would come back home, but they knew that they were fighting for a better life for their family.
2: Now back to Royal and Eliza to introduce the panel.
4: While we're not in person tonight, uh, with all of our partners around the state uh, streaming this event, uh, we have a reach of over a hundred thousand people. That's right, a hundred thousand. So. Thank you again to all of our partners, and again, even though we're not with you physically, we're still with you virtually.
5: Now we'd like to introduce Keith Simmons, our partner with Florida Humanities. Keith is our facilitator for the panel this evening. He's the Communications Director of Florida Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities.
4: In this role, Keith serves as as the chief storyteller for the organization helping to promote Florida's fascinating history, along with stories and ideas that help to make the Sunshine State the best state in the nation. Keith oversees the production, publication, and distribution of Forum Magazine. Keith is a proud graduate of Florida A&M University with a degree in history, and the University of South Florida with a master's in American history. He's a fourth generation Floridian and a native of the Tampa Bay area. Keith, welcome.
12: Thank you so much Eliza and Royal for that wonderful introduction and thank you for the opportunity to partner with you with this very exciting program. We're honored to be with you for created equal in this sixth iteration of a really important series of conversations. I first really started to become involved in talking about emancipation uh, when I was actually a student at FAMU. Um, I participated with the group that Sergeant Major Rozier founded, and it really sort of underscored this importance of interacting with history and needing to kind of step fully into that process. And I think that's something that we have an opportunity to do again this evening with our very distinguished panel, which I am honored to introduce to you now. First, I wanna introduce Ms. Alphamese Barnes. She's the founder of the John G. Riley Museum, and the Florida African American Heritage Preservation Network, a statewide professional museum association that serves as a resource in preserving Florida's African American culture. Ms. Barnes led these efforts for a quarter of a century where she documented the lived history of Black citizens through oral history interviews, innumerable historical projects and publications. President Obama appointed her to the National Board of Directors of the Institute of Museum and Library Services. The Village Square's Bill Maddox calls Ms. Barnes a national treasure. Miss Barnes, it is a pleasure to have you join us this evening. Thank you. Next, I would like to introduce Dr. Larry Rivers. He is a distinguished professor of history at Florida A&M University. He brings a rich background of knowledge to the panel as a respected author, historian, and scholar. Dr. Rivers has authored or co-authored eight books which have received numerous awards, including Slavery and Freedom, Territorial Days to Emancipation, Rebels in Runaways, Slave Resistance in the 19th Century Florida, and his most recent work, Father James Page, An Enslaved Preachers Climb to Freedom. It is an honor to have you join us this evening, Dr. Rivers. Thank you. Finally, for our panel, I'd like to introduce Dr. Paul Ortiz. He's the director of the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program and a professor of history at the University of Florida. Dr. Ortiz's books include Emancipation Betrayed, The Hidden History of Black Organizing, and White Violence in Florida from Reconstruction to the Bloody Election of 1920. He also served as a consultant and featured narrator for the PBS series done by Henry Louis Gates Jr. titled The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. Welcome, Dr. Ortiz, and thank you for being a part of tonight's conversation. Thank you. And again, thank you to all of you for joining us for this program. And I think what I would like to start with is if you could sort of briefly talk to us about. What is it that's important for citizens to understand regarding the history of emancipation, uh, regarding General McCook's news to Floridians and reading the Emancipation Proclamation that occurred 156 years ago today? And and with that question, I think I'd like to start with you, Ms. Barnes. What is it that you think is important for citizens to know and understand about emancipation in Florida?
3: Thank you. That is a very very good question, and it's also a very timely question. i thought about it, and I'm, I tend to think that with this 21st century, as it is evolving, it appears that there is a need to distinguish fact from fiction, truth from truths, and it's become like a constant daily challenge. So personally, as it relates to when persons in the United States, and Florida in particular were freed, I never had reason to think that there would be people who did not know the history or that it would find itself in a state of ambiguity. I think what we need to know is that there is a reason why certain things happened as it related to the emancipation. And it's not just a one-day event and it's over. The emancipation is more of a process or was more. Of a process, factually, and there are other dates that proce- that preceded September twenty second, eighteen sixty two, when President Lincoln issued a preliminary proclamation document. But his cabinet was in resistance to his plan to release the enslaved. So on December thirty first, and that's where I want to just pick up quickly, December thirty first, eighteen sixty two which was the night before his signing of the official document on January 1st, 1863, African-Americans, enslaved African-Americans gathered in churches, and those of us from that uh, group know about the watch night service. They were watching for the dawn of a new day. We call it watch night still, though the tradition of how it started has sort of taken on a different twist to a degree. On the January 1st, 1863, when the signing took place, there were certain states in rebellion resistant to the order. Now, some say that it was because word traveled slowly and we didn't have the internet and all of that. But equally and more so is that the Confederates in these states did not consider Abraham Lincoln to be their president. They were Jefferson Davis. That was who they obeyed or looked to. So that meant that for another two years from 1863 to 1865, there had to be an enforcement reading. And that's where we get to Florida, Georgia, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and other the three or four other rebelling states. A general union general was sent in. The one sent to Tallahassee was Union General Edward McCook and the Union troops came with him to provide protection. The enslaved and the slaveholders gathered downtown in the House area, and that was where General McCook made the reading. A celebration took place right after at Bull Pond, B-U-L-L. Today it's known as Lake Ella on North Monroe. And from that date, May 20, 1865, celebrations have been held at locations across, not just in Tallahassee, but across the state of Florida eventually. And so I think we need to remember that that was a process and not get hung up on one day for this state, another for another. Um, It took all of that. To get us to the freedom, the point of freedom that we are commemorating today.
12: Absolutely. And I wonder if Dr. Rivers, if you could sort of pick up on that in terms of talking about what is it that you think is important for citizens to understand about emancipation. And perhaps if you could maybe give us some context in terms of what is sort of going on historically leading up to the period of the Civil War that helps to give this greater sense of importance to emancipation?
0: Well, thank you, because I really believe that uh, Ms. Barnes really covered a lot of the fundamentals as it relates to the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, the Emancipation Proclamation symbolized first and foremost freedom for former enslaved people from legalized servitude. And when we look at liberty earned, one thing that we have to take a look at is that over time African Americans would have to continue to fight for their liberty even after the Emancipation Proclamation. But to put this into context as well, the Emancipation Proclamation certainly is an important document But we also have to consider the 13th Amendment, which was added to the Constitution in February of 1865, which by law abolished slavery. So we have to kind of look at this uh, in context in terms of how the emancipation, as Ms. Barnes stated, Developed from uh, a preliminary emancipation proclamation to the proclamation, to finally getting to uh, enslaved people, letting them know that they were free. But at the end of the day, the most in, uh, another important point is that the Thirteenth Amendment should also be uh, spoken about in the same breath as when you're talking about the Emancipation Proclamation.
12: Dr. Ortiz, if you could kind of follow up with that. And I
0: wonder if you could
12: also speak to some of the, the research and scholarly work that you have done in terms of talking about the ways in which African-Americans tried to achieve freedom, however it was defined, and perhaps some of the obstacles that they may have faced in in pursuit of obtaining that freedom.
1: Thank you, Keith. You know, emancipation, as Ms. Barnes as astutely noted, it was not one day. It's a, it was a process. It was the culmination of centuries of the black freedom struggle. And when emancipation is achieved, when black people achieve emancipation in the United States, it's the greatest event in American history. No other event is even close. In 1935, when W. E. B. Du Bois wrote black reconstruction, he argued that Emancipation, in fact, was the greatest day of the last thousand years of all human history. He so said, "There's no other drama like it, where people had been put into horrific bondage, had labored without pay, uh, had suffered, had watched their families torn apart from them, and found a way, despite that, to survive." And as Professor Rivers's most recent amazing book on Father James Page notes. Black people on those decades leading up to emancipation had created a liberation theology. They had taken the Christianity, which had been imposed upon them, which was a Christianity of the master class, and they had turned it upside down. And it was people like the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, a Florida native who was taught Christianity by his former slave grandmother from Madison County who was one of the people instrumental in explaining how enslaved African-Americans had turned Christianity into liberation theology. The other thing we should remember, Keith, is that, again, based upon the research that Dr. Rivers and others have done, Florida has always been a battleground of the struggle between freedom and slavery. There were large maroon communities here in the early 19th century one of them not far from where you're sitting uh, right now, uh, whether you're in Tallahassee or whether you're in St. Petersburg, right? Prospect Bluff, Angola, Florida. African-Americans who had escaped from slavery from South Carolina, from Georgia, from Alabama, found freedom, sometimes allied themselves with the Seminole Indians, fought three major wars to try to keep slavery out of Florida as best as they possibly could. So by the time the Civil War broke out in 1861, Black Floridians have been fighting for freedom for generations. And so it's no surprise that they answered the call in mass. And when the Union, when the United States of America finally woke up, because remember at the outset of the Civil War, even old Abraham Lincoln wasn't sure what the war was quite about, right? He he said, "I if I have to preserve slavery to save the Union, well, I'm going to do it because saving the Union is paramount. And his friend Frederick Douglass said, oh, President Lincoln, you can't do that, sir. That's like going into battle with one hand tied behind your back. And until you recognize that this war is about slavery, you're not going to be able to save the Union. And so when Lincoln wakes up and when that Emancipation Proclamation is passed in the middle of the Civil War, and remember how it's characterized by Lincoln and his cabinet, it's characterized as a labor measure. And it's enslaved African-Americans who have taught President Lincoln they're willing to fight. They're willing to dig ditches. They're willing to help escape Union POWs. They're willing to spy and help Union regiments and on along Florida's rivers. And so they've taught the United States, we're ready to fight. If you'll make this a war about slavery to end slavery, then we'll, we will re- register and enlist in mass. And over a thousand black Floridians enter into the Union army. And some of them, like, uh, Josiah T. Walls, is there with the 30 United States color troops for that liberation of Tallahassee and emancipation. It's a remarkable event. We're still learning so much about it. And I'm so proud to be part of this wonderful panel and event.
12: Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's so many types of things that we could get into with this evening. And,
1: you know, unfortunately, we're
12: not going to be able to take, I think, questions directly from the audience, but we did our best to sort of integrate Some of their questions and things that they're curious about into uh, some of the things that we'll be discussing this evening. Uh, I think before we start to go a little bit more into ways that we can sort of carry this forward, uh, Ms. Barnes, I want to ask you about your connection to Emancipation Day in Florida. Uh, it's my understanding that your family is sort of a part of this history. And so I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about what is that connection that your family has to this history? And if you could also talk about some of the work um, that you have been doing over the past few months in regard to the recognition of Emancipation Day here in Florida.
3: Okay, yes. I am very much a part of emancipation. I'm a sixth generation Floridian born in Tallahassee. And as far as I know, when I came to know myself, I knew emancipation, 20th of May. Some of our elders say 20th of May, but we knew what they meant. From the day I entered school, May 20th was a holiday. It stayed that way up until fifth grade. At that point, the school district started giving a little money to the segregated school that I was attending. So we didn't have the holiday anymore, but we knew to rush home right after school because our parents were waiting. Our parents, that was a day off for them as well. They were waiting to take us back. We called it out home to the former plantation land. But by that time, As a result, later on, as a result of some of our ancestors being able to acquire property, they would hold the emancipation either at the black church or a black school or on property owned by African Americans. My great grandmother, along with her good friend Sarah Hill, started one of those celebrations on the old Guy Winthrop plantation. It later moved up to Centerville Road. So, and then my father was born, my father was born on Wilani Plantation. And that was where his parents grew up. By the time my father came along, it was sharecropping and tenant farming. And then my mother was born and raised, grew up as a child on the Waverley Plantation. But her father was the, overseer of the plantation. So I, I'm out of that background. We have the, the we would go in the um, back in the country and we all had to learn how to plant the maypole. Uh, we would go into the church first and they would explain to us why we were there, what it was all about. And of course, as young children, we were anxious for them to get that part over so we could get out and start playing and what have you. But it was, It's an ingrained thing. And so that was why when I saw this legislation coming out and discussions about other places being what Florida really was, it just became something that I just felt we had to deal with, not for just present generations, but to knit generations of Floridians to this history.
12: Absolutely. And I wonder, too, if you could talk with us just a little bit about some of the other work that you're doing with with colleagues around the state in regard to making this not just a celebration in Tallahassee, but really across the entire state of Florida.
3: Thanks for asking that. Also, when we found out that there was legislation to make June 19th, the day that slaves in Florida were freed, and in fact, that is in the Florida statue. It's been there since 1991. There was an uprising, I made some contacts with local historians and also with members of our Florida African American Heritage Preservation Network, and that consists of historical museums across the state of Florida, all regions of the state. What happened was once the chronology was put together, the primary and secondary sources, the old news clips and what have you, we sent them out and other commissioners, you heard earlier how Lynn County Commission and city government adopted this day as a holiday. Well, in pockets, these directors of the museums began talking to their politicians. And so we have other cities and counties now, Bartow, Lakeland, Fort Myers, Duval, Jacksonville, where the commissions, Ponte Gorda, have now passed resolutions declaring, codifying that May 20th, 1865 is the official day of emancipation. And many are holding commemorations today. Uh, Some are resurrecting some that started years ago, but had tapered off. So those are being restarted today. I will mention one in particular down in Jacksonville, Duval County. Our museum director there, Mr. Kobe Pittman, who's now on the Culture Council, has an ordinance. And they are holding a big festival in the James Weldon Johnson Park in Jacksonville today. So that is the kind of mobilization. We had the Council on Culture and the Arts. We had the Tallahassee Historical Society, the Florida Historical Society, just a a diverse group of people who appeared before the legislative committees time and again to make the point that let's correct the history. We are not trying to say, if someone wants to celebrate another time, fine. That's not problem. but the history, especially in our official legal documents, need to be correct.
12: Absolutely. And it sounds like there's been a considerable amount of work that you've done to to make that a reality. And I want to turn now to uh, both you, Dr. Rivers and, and Dr. Ortiz, and kind of get your thoughts on, you know both of you being in, in a university setting, You know, I'm sure there's certainly some interesting challenges and and things like that associated with talking about these types of stories and trying to convey that sense of relevance, Uh, particularly if you're dealing with audiences that may not be from Florida or they might have a different racial or ethnic background. And so I'll start with you, Dr. Rivers, if you could just sort of reflect on some of your experiences as an educator what is sort of that argument in terms of for someone that may not have that strong connection to Florida or to this type of history that they should become invested in these stories?
0: That's a great question, Keith. I think that um, it's very important to understand the importance of history to deny one's history history is to deny one's existence. And I try to get my students to understand the importance of history and the importance of how people respect history in terms of how they place monuments, uh, statues that deal with individuals and i give them an exercise uh in my class uh, a lot of them uh, are from florida a few of them are not and i give them an exercise uh at the beginning of uh each semester when i teach my florida history class and i tell tell them to list the 67 counties which they can't and then i ask them to name the presidents of those counties. They do a pretty good job with uh, Washington and Taylor and Monroe and Jefferson and Jackson. Then I asked them, I say why is that important? And we discussed that. Then I then I continue. I asked them to name a mammal and they name the manatee. I say name a county named after a Confederate general. They name Robert E. Lee. I say, name counties after indigenous people. They name Osceola and Seminole counties. And I asked the next question. I said, Florida in 1865 had an enslaved free population of 45%. That is almost one half of the population of Florida in 1865 consisted of African-Americans and of the counties that you remember. Name one county. Now, these 45% helped to make the economy, help to build Florida. But name one county that's named after an African-American. They looked around very puzzled because when you try to make history relevant you have to use examples such as the one that I did. And then I asked students from Georgia and some were from South Carolina. I said, think about the history in your states. Are African-Americans a part of that? Do we live African-American history by what we see in terms of our our monuments, our signs, our streets? I said, history is very important because when you deny a group its history. You're saying that they're not important, that they haven't contributed anything to society. So we must understand the overall importance of history. And if you deny another man's or woman's history, then possibly they can also deny your history. So we must understand history as a comprehensive concept in order for this country to move forward.
12: Dr. Ortiz, I would pose the same question to you, sort of drawing from from your experience as an educator. You know, what do you see as some of those challenges uh, in terms of of conveying the importance of this this history to, to some of your students?
1: Challenges, Keith, are enormous in our society, which is... Year to forget those aspects of our history that we would prefer to kind of sweep under the rug. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. referred to the effort to, to hide the contributions of African Americans as cultural homicide. That's a direct quote. That's exactly what Dr. Rivers is talking about. By refusing to name a single county in the state of Florida, a, a, a state which up until the Civil War Over half the population were enslaved black people. The failure to name a single county after a black person in this state, I would argue, is an example of what Dr. Martin Luther King refers to as cultural homicide. Now, it's very challenging at the University of Florida where I teach, because our students come into the classroom with a very limited understanding of history. The state legislature has made it much harder. They allow students to take AP credits in high school, AP history classes. And so a lot of them don't take history in college. And so they may receive their bachelor's degrees. I hate to use this term, but they may receive bachelor's degrees completely ignorant of Florida history. Uh, this is really a crime. And what it means in terms of African-American history is that very few of my students, unless they take courses in African-American studies understand the contributions that African-Americans made towards their own emancipation and towards the saving of this union. We wouldn't be having this discussion if it weren't for the fact that hundreds of thousands of African-Americans cast their lots in this nation's most desperate hour to throw down and support the United States of America when it was facing the largest insurrection that had ever been faced by any republic in this hemisphere. And remember Keith, when black men volunteered for the Union Army in Florida in 1863 or 64, they did so under the threat of their own lives. Because if you were a black man in a Union in a United States Army uniform, if you were in the 39 States color troops and you were captured by members of the Confederate Army, you are not going to be treated like a prisoner of war. You're going to be treated under Confederate law as an escaped slave in a state of insurgency and we have documents written documents from confederate sources the battle of natural bridges was mentioned Um, we have documents that talk about confederate commanders telling their soldiers before battles with black soldiers in the deep south keep saying that if you capture any of those black SOBs you don't treat them as POWs you execute them on the spot And this is why we say that it's black contributions of black courage and black heroism, which saved this country. And it goes back centuries, right? It's what Cedric Robinson called the black radical tradition. It's the black, it's black history where we understand. I mean, I teach black history, Keith, as the greatest civics lesson you can possibly teach at any level, K through six, K through 12. Uh, a B.A. level in, in, in college or in graduate school. It's really the greatest civ- civics lesson possible because of people who were completely repudiated and cast out by this nation, risked their lives over and over again from the time of the American Revolution to the War of 1812, to the Civil War, World War One, World War II, and none of those wars did black people have equal rights. And yet they volunteered by the hundreds of thousands to step up to save this country. Tell me what is a better civics lesson than that record of continuous service.
12: It certainly seems like there's nothing else that could ultimately rival that. And I think what you have sort of touched on is that in terms of being in our democracy, there really is just this necessity for people to participate in it and that it's just a basic requirement of citizenship. And you know, I want to share a really quick story that I heard uh, related to the founding of this Created Equal initiative. Uh, so Greg Ellison, who's the founder of Fearless Dialogues, he grew up in Atlanta, close to the home of Martin Luther King. And he said he had big dreams. And he was talking to his Aunt Dottie. And he said, Aunt Dottie, how can I change the world and she had this response that was just really simple and profound. And she said, I don't know how to change the world, but I can change the three feet around me. And so with Created equal, when they started doing this concept, they unfortunately couldn't find three foot tape measures. So they got a little bit more ambitious and used five foot tape measures. But, Ultimately, what they wanted to do when they're doing some of these programs is they'll bring out those tape measures and they'll have a room full of hundreds of people end to end where you are within the close confines of others that are within that five feet. And so when we're talking about making change and we're talking about making things better, it's just starting within that core group. And so I wanna start with with you, Ms. Barnes, and I wonder if you could just sort of share with us, what, what advice would you give to someone if they were to ask you, how can they try to change the five feet around them? So that hopefully in the words of Dr. King, we can ensure that this arc of the universe ultimately bends towards justice.
3: Powerful question, and a good one. Coming out of my experience, I would say with the Riley House Research Center and we are strong on advocacy. I would say bringing others into a circle, others who do not look like me, but bringing them into the circle, and sharing openly my journey. Now, what's your journey? And so that we begin to understand better who we are and what we are about and can be about. I want to just throw in one thing here that might be a little different. I had someone to say to me that, when we were preparing for the emancipation legislation and um, that piece of the work, this person wanted to know, well, why should a white person be concerned about this topic? Um, it seems that that should be something that uh, blacks work out among themselves. Of course, I was taken aback in a way, but my thing is if a person if that kind of question is coming, that is a very myopic view, a very narrow view as far as I'm concerned, because when we look at where we all are, um and, and then I'm gonna go to what happened after slavery. We're talking a lot about slavery. But if we begin to teach each other and show each other that it took all of us to create this society. Yes, in slavery, we were limited, but afterward, when we move into reconstruction, there are so many contributions, so many benefits, so much value that was brought about as a result of breaking down those walls. So I think we need to be more open and honest in discussions, not be afraid to address certain topics. I hear some say, well, it's too sensitive. There's a bill now I understand being proposed where it's, it's an instruction or given direction on how classroom teachers should not be allowed to present topics that would be upsetting to students. And so I, within that is something that talking one-on-one certainly can happen within three feet, five feet. And then I also thought about Good manners. Sometimes if we just get in the habit every day and they don't, the person might not even speak that, but start saying, good morning, good afternoon, or if someone opens the oh, door. Thank you. Be it the post office, the bank or whatever. To me, that's recognizing people, all people as human beings with a soul, with a presence. That's the beginning point.
12: Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for that. That's 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 wonderful. And Dr. Rivers would pose the same question to you. What is your sense for the things that someone could do if they just simply want to try to change the five feet around them?
0: I I will continue on the same thought pattern as Ms. Barnes. The most important thing that I think a person can do within his or her feet is service. Talk about the importance of service. It is not always about us. It's all, it's not always about me, but it's about what I can do to make life better for someone else within my circle. To be truthful and transparent about history about events, willing to stand up for what is right, regardless of the cost, becoming a role model, serving where uh, none of us is perfect. However, we can still try to be role models for young people coming through and teaching them how they should behave, how they should speak, how they should talk. And so I think when we look at that five feet, it's a combination of several things. Service, being a role model, being truthful and transparent, being cordial to others, being friendly. This, this country has gotten just mean to each other. So within the five feet that I would occupy, I would try to do the things that I've just mentioned, service, role model, truthfulness, transparency, and being cordial to others.
12: Dr. Ortiz, again, the same question for you as well. What would you would say to someone if they wanted to try to change the five feet around them?
1: I would follow the examples, Keith, that African-Americans set at the day of Jubilee at, at the moment of emancipation. In my more recent book, An African-American and Latinx History in the United States, what I discovered was that African-Americans felt that emancipation in one country was not enough. And the first thing they did in Florida and other states in the Deep South was they said, we're not going to disband our anti-slavery associations. We're not going to pack up and say, wow, we made it. You know, brother and sister, we're free. You know, look at us. Right. They did exactly the opposite. They said, what about slavery in Cuba? What about slavery in Brazil? What about serfdom in Russia? And African-Americans like Frederick Douglass, like Josiah T. Walls, who I mentioned earlier, who's my congressman in Alachua County during Reconstruction, formed a national organization, a national anti-slavery organization to fight slavery worldwide. Just imagine. So that's one of the ways, I think, just, again, echoing what Mrs. Barnes and Dr. Rivers says. That is a lesson from the black freedom struggle. Always stand for justice for others. It's not just about me, I'm only one person. And I'm safer and more happier and freer if my neighbors around me are safer, happier and freer. I think the key to understanding why African-Americans had developed such an expansive conception of liberty and democracy. And remember, until black people get the vote in Florida, We didn't have a public educational system. Are you kidding me? Public education was only for the sons and daughters of who? The master class, not poor white people, not small white farmers. Public education in this state was only for wealthy sons and daughters of planters. Black people, when they got the vote, that's the first thing they did. They said everyone should have equal access to public education, Hispanic, white, black and otherwise. That's an astonishing conception of democracy in 1865. And we have to study what are the origins of this? Where does this come from? You know, that last generation, Keith, of enslaved African-Americans who gave their precious testimony in the 1930s. And Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois captured this in Black Reconstruction. They said, at the moment of the Day of Jubilee, we saw Jesus in the flesh. We saw God. We saw Abraham Lincoln. And initially, when historians saw this testimony, they said, oh, they were just having hallucinations. But they weren't. This is what the day of jubilee meant. It was the culmination of centuries of sacred struggle. But we also have to remember the unfinished elements of this, keep because it gets back to your question about the three, the five feet around us. Because African-Americans were betrayed in the state of Florida, not only by Tallahassee, they were betrayed by the federal government who turned its back and did much worse against African-Americans with the end of Reconstruction. Black people in this state suffered the highest per capita lynching rate during the Jim Crow period than any African-Americans in any other state of the union. And so there are so many unfinished elements of the black freedom struggle next week. I'm so excited. Now I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. Tallahassee is celebrating another landmark, a commemoration of the 1956 Tallahassee Bus Boycott. Wow. After you learn about Emancipation Day, after you go to, to Ms. Barnes and Dr. Rivers' books, learn about the Tallahassee Bus Boycott. It was an incredible freedom struggle. And it was organized by people in, in, in the city in Leon County. And that's,
12: that's certainly another, I think, really Great thing to commemorate with the Tallahassee bus boycott. And there's there's something I want to follow up with you on on really quick, Doctor Ortiz. And you know I think that if if there's someone that's listening and and watching this conversation and you know hearing about some of the things that our panelists have proposed, and they're just sitting with this emotion of fear, they're 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 afraid of. Maybe the things that they don't know, they're afraid of, you know, some of the things that are around them that, you know, speaking up can can sometimes sort of have consequences. And so, you know, you want to try to move, you want to try to change these things, but you're just afraid. And and so what, what would you kind of say to someone if they expressed that fear and that apprehension, there's the desire, but there's also that fear that could potentially be holding them back. Yeah.
1: It's a great question, Keith. I would suggest doing what, what African-Americans did during Reconstruction, which is that when we, when we teach history, we tend to do it mistakenly, I believe. We, we talk about leaders, right? I, I've already talked about Abraham Lincoln. We talk about Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, these iconic, heroic figures. And as we should, they 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 stick out, they're incredible people. But what we forget is that change doesn't happen from the top. It doesn't happen because of Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman or Abraham Lincoln. It happens because thousands of people got together to change things. And so the best way to grapple with fear is to organize where you're at, whether it's a church, a labor union, a class, your neighborhood, where you feel most comfortable with, and find other people who can join with you so that you don't have to necessarily put yourself out there to be in the forefront, right? What we need are more followers, I believe, than leaders. What I mean by this is I many of us in Tallahassee remember the great Mrs. Laura Dixie. When Mrs. Laura Dixie passed away, Reverend Dr. Holmes referred to her as the mother of the Tallahassee civil rights movement. Now Mrs. Dixie was not highly educated. She never earned a college degree but she was an organizer. She was always there for people. People were always welcome in her home. She made people feel like they were something. She didn't ask you what degree you had. She didn't ask you how much money you made. And she was the person who on those early mornings before she started her shift as a certified nursing assistant who would go from bus stop to bus stop. 5 a.m. in the morning in Tallahassee, Mrs. Barnes, right? to, To tell her neighbors, Brother, sister, ma'am, please don't get on that bus. We have a boycott going on. Haven't you heard Reverend Steele? Haven't you heard Dr. King? We've got to stay off the bus. Yes, it's inconvenient, but we've got to do this for justice. We've got to do the right thing. And I I will hazard a guess that very few of our viewers tonight have heard the name of Laura Dixie. She was not a speechmaker. She was not this charismatic person who stood out in front of crowds. But getting back to your question, Keith, she was a silent organizer, right? One by one by one so that nobody around her had to risk their lives necessarily, although it was always risky, right? Um, so I, I would say that community organizing is the way to deal with fear, to, to, to not take it on yourself, to not feel like, Oh, this is my burden alone to bear. This is the great lesson of the black freedom struggle. It's organization. Absolutely.
12: And I know that we're sort of drawing down a little bit on time, but I want to encourage everyone to stick around after our program here ends because we got another exciting and really interesting program for uh for everyone to get into. And Miss Barnes, I wonder if you could just let our audience know uh what to expect uh with with Dr. Barita and and the program that's gonna be coming up next.
3: Yes, what we have coming up after this, we talked about how this this has now reached across the state of Florida. So we have clips from the Clara White mission in Jacksonville, and that's headed up by Jacoby Pittman. Um, and I don't know if uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Ortiz and Dr. Rivers knew of Clara White and Eartha White, who started the mission to feed the homeless in Jacksonville. Yes. And now it also has a museum expanded program where Jacoby Pittman is the head of that organization now. So she did a clip. She's the one that's kicking off the reincarnation of Emancipation Day that the whites started some years ago. So she'll have a clip. And then we have Miss Vivian Filer Gainesville, who is the director, founder and director of the Cotton Club and Museum. Who is going to share what is happening in Alachua in Gainesville. And I want to do a shout out to Senator Keith Perry and his aide, Vernon Keenan, who have worked very hard along with Ms. Filer to organize that museum and get it up and going. And, uh, and then down in Ponte Dr. Martha Beretta, who has always continued the emancipation celebrations and see, that was an area, too, where the people from Mariana, someone from Mariana moved to Pontagorda Gorda and brought the tradition to Charlotte County, Ponte Gorda, because that's farther down the state. And that's how it picked up. And with her mom, Miss Bernice Russell. So she is sharing a clip as well for what is happening in that area. So that is what will follow when we've completed here. I want to say one thing, just to go back to what Dr. Ortiz mentioned about having organizers, Mrs. Um, Daisy Young and Laura Dixie, Mariola Ola Gaines, my husband and I, Calvin Barnes, know about all of them because we were involved in the civil rights and the NAACP movement. But I thought about something that was a standard saying with NAACP, and that was that the stress you need followers. That's where I'm going. The strength of the wolf is in the pack. You get it. You need <laughs> followers back there. The strength of the wolf is, is in the pack. the pack. That's what you call community organizing. Somebody's got to be there, but you've got to have those back. It was the same with the um emancipation situation that we went through with the legislature. I had people calling me Captain Buck. I said, well, I'm not captain, but I need them. They would call and say, now don't forget, we're meeting at the civic center at 830. I'll get there. There they were waiting, you know. So the stress of the wolf is where is in the pack.
12: Absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. I'm going to find some way to integrate that uh, into my work for the rest of this week. So thank you for that. And on behalf of Florida Humanities, Leon County government, and the Village Square, I'd like to thank all of you, Miss Barnes. Dr. Rivers, Dr. Ortiz for being part of tonight's conversation. And so I wonder if you could just quickly, I want to, I want to pose this quickly to, to the three of you, just sort of in closing. We have about a minute, I think, for each of you. And I want to start with you, Dr. Rivers. One of the things that we're obviously reflecting on when it comes to emancipation is freedom. So I wonder if you could just sort of tell us what, what does freedom mean to you?
0: I'll tell you in a nutshell, freedom is important to me because it's the opposite of slavery. And uh, I believe that when you are free, you're independent. You do as you please as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others. You have ability to act, speak, and think without legal restrictions. Freedom is an inalienable right. And to deny one group its freedom, you can easily deny another group its freedom.
12: Thank you for that. So Dr. Ortiz, same question.
0: What
1: would you say that freedom means to you? Freedom, it gets back to the beginning in terms of emancipation. It's not an absolute goal that we'll never see the end of it. It's something we strive for. It's progress. And it's, it's Frederick Douglass saying without struggle, there is no progress, right? It's the right to care for others and the right to, if, if, if I see an injustice, the right to speak out against that, that injustice. And these are all lessons that I've learned from Black history. Thank you for that. And finally, Miss Barnes, the same question. What would
12: you say that freedom means to you?
3: Well, I would... Reflect back to the period of slavery reconstruction where freedom means having opportunities, the access to opportunities, the same resources and sources as anyone else. And the, the, the right to achieve, contribute, accomplish based on your skill and ability and nothing more. I think of the period of slavery, as Dr. Akbar would say again, it was like the crucifixion. And then after that came Reconstruction where people were free and could go about benefiting, sharing with others, gaining, being productive, that period of the resurrection. That's what happens when one is free and have access opportunity without restriction.
12: Absolutely. I I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, I would just also like to say sort of in closing that I think the three of you are truly inspirational in terms of the work that you're doing uh, on a daily basis in regard to talking about these types of histories. And I think we talked a lot tonight about the importance of, of courage you know, that the strength of the wolf is in the pack. See, I was able to use it, but I'm gonna find some more ways <laughs> to use it. I promise you, Miss Barnes. And and really, that I think this is just a, a celebration. Uh and, and that's sort of the the intention with this Emancipation Day is that it's not just a matter of that pain that I think so many enslaved. African-Americans experience, but it is truly the jubilation of freedom. And it is recognizing that we are in this, we have this opportunity to to make sure that everyone has access to democracy. Uh, And so I'm just truly grateful uh, for you and for all three of you, for the work that you do and for your participation this evening. I think it was, was a really powerful conversation again I'm just so grateful that the three of you were able to
4: join us.
0: Thank you. thank you.
4: Thank you very much. Keith and to our awesome panel. Thank you uh so much. Thank you. Uh Eliza, that was a amazing conversation. I it was it was so many high points in that conversation. But what really got me was what Miss Barnes when she mentioned about the three to five feet. Uh and then of course when Keith re mentioned what she said about the strength of the pack, uh, what, what kind of like captive, captivated you and stood out?
5: You know, I, I think what Dr. Ortiz said about understanding our history, really, really understanding our history is something that I I took away from the conversation. And then as well as uh, when it comes to the, the five foot challenge, you know, what Dr. Rivers said about just being kind to one another and how we've gotten to be so mean and how we just need to start to listen to one another and be more kind. So, yeah, I, I love the conversation. It was really, really insightful
4: for me. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so to everybody out in the uh, virtual world, the program is not over yet. I repeat, it is not over. So please continue to stay with us. Before we pass the torch, though, to the Gabi Choir and the Omega Lamplighters for a youth-inspired original arrangement of We Shall Overcome, We'd like to share a little tradition of ours. Uh, Eliza kind of alluded to it, the Five Foot Challenge. This tradition includes a competition for a $500 startup grant for innovative citizen ideas that serve to create and support engagement across racially diverse communities. If you watch the program uh, by Zoom, we'll email you a link where you can uh, get more information about this opportunity after tonight's program. You'll submit your ideas by Friday, June 25th.
5: Now, if you're in Leon County, we hope you'll meet us back at Created Equal again in 2022, this time in person. For the rest of Florida, we'd love to invite you to join our tradition by offering opportunities to build community across color, creed, and ideology through Created Equal or through the Village Square's Local Color Series. This year, the Local Color Series was launched in Sarasota County by the Sarasota Public Library and is a cutting edge model for bridging division. Feel free to email us at Eliza at VillageSquare.us if you're interested in bringing local color to your hometown.
4: Thank you again to Keith Simmons and Florida Humanities for their support in making this program a reality. Thanks again also to our esteemed panelists, uh, Ms. Barnes, Dr. Rivers, and Dr. Ortiz, and the one and only Sergeant Major Jarvis Rozier. And to the incredible performers, the Amos Gaby High School Gospel Choir, Royce Lovett, and the Omega Lamplighter's Mighty Light Team, and our streaming partners at the Tallahassee Democrat and the Samuel Proctor History Project. I mentioned this earlier, that in our normal setting, we would have convened uh, hundreds of of local citizens. But with all of our state partners tonight, we're able to reach 100,000 Floridians. It's a team of people, though, that are, are working behind the scenes that make this event what it was, And you didn't get to see them all tonight, but they were extremely crucial and important in making this event a success. Thank you, Siobhan McAndrew, for all your hard work. And to the rest of the team, we say thank you.
5: Yes, thank you so much to the team. So the history of Emancipation Day is part of our history as a people, history that's important to know to better understand where we are now.
4: You can find a video of this program on the Leon County Facebook page and YouTube channel immediately after the program has ended tonight. Uh, We hope you'll share it with your friends across the entire state of Florida.
5: We want to invite you to tune in on WFSU-TV to Invisible History, Middle Florida's Hidden Roots by local filmmaker Valerie Schuen, which examines the little-known history of plantations and the enslaved in North Florida. It can be streamed at WFSU.org backslash television.
4: Again, thank you. I uh, thank you all for joining us in this discussion about Florida Emancipation Day and freedom. To finish our program, we'll hear from partners across the state who couldn't be here tonight, including a performance from one of my favorite groups, the Omega Lamplighters.
5: Now, before we close out with our partners from across the state and the God Be Choir, we have a question for everyone watching from home. What is your definition of freedom and what steps can you take to step closer to that ideal? So, Royal, what does freedom mean to you?
4: Eliza, I, I thought about this a lot, uh, but in short, I would have to say that freedom means and is the pursuit of happiness and the opportunity to live out your purpose without fear. What does it mean to you, Eliza?
5: I, I think that freedom means finding relief. I think it means feeling the sun on your face and knowing that your life is your own and that your destiny is yours
4: to control. All right, I'm going to take your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, I wanted to quickly share that we have received many social media comments on the program. While I'd like to read them all to you, I'll just say that many express appreciation for the expertise and drive of our panel, the videos we shared and the conversations we've started. I imagine that we're also a bunch of comments praising the uh, the program moderator. So kudos to you too, Keith. But I'll read all those later. Seriously though, thank you to, to many who tuned in and shared online. And because this is a statewide program, we asked some of our friends around the state what freedom means to them. So enjoy.
7: Freedom means self-determination. Freedom to me means not having to worry about a target being on my back.
4: Freedom to me is the liberty to thrive in the world and be myself.
13: Freedom means being able to sleep while your son is walking along his own street.
10: Freedom means the opportunity to discover and to develop your God-given talents to their greatest potential.
7: Freedom
5: means embracing diversity of thought and engaging across differences.
10: Having
13: the same laws and those laws applied equally Freedom means recognizing the past wrongs and injustices with the celebration of unity with a profound purpose
11: for a continued freedom.
5: Freedom means taking ownership of your actions and beliefs.
1: Freedom to me means the ability of an individual to reach their full human potential without the barriers of discrimination or harassment for who they are, what they believe, or what they
2: say. Freedom is perfect love. And perfect love casts out fear.
10: Freedom means having access to the ballot
0: box. To me, freedom means independence and the freedom to be oneself. Libertad es derecho para que uno se lo mismo. Freedom is not being
11: afraid to be stopped by law enforcement, let alone speak the one freedom means to me
13: to be a person of color and be able to look at a white person without being harmed or threatened
4: freedom is having the ability to change your future in your image
10: freedom to me
5: is the ability to express myself in any way that i choose
10: celebrated Emancipation Day May 20th since the very first African American settlers came here. They would have a huge parade through the center of town. There were fish fries, there were speeches, and of course, everybody contributed money for the colored school. This year, because of the coronavirus, we are closed. But yet, we will celebrate Emancipation Day May 20th. Our own Scott Shively, Who represents General Matt Cook will from this porch, as he does every single year, read the Emancipation Order. It will be on our website, www.flanchardhousemuseum.org, on May 20th for everyone to hear. Thank you.
13: Hello, everyone. My name is Jacoby Pittman, and I'm the city councilwoman from Jacksonville, Florida. Listen, I'm so excited because on May 20th of this year, in a few weeks, in this very park, we're doing the Emancipation Celebration Day. And listen, I am so proud to be the chairwoman of the event, and I was able to develop legislation and my colleagues support it. But most of all, I'd like to support and thank Ms. Altamese Barnes for mobilizing us all together to help us understand what the emancipation means across the state of Florida when slaves were um, free during that time. Again, I'm excited. Look forward to you all joining me here. On May 20th, we have an all-day festival and celebration right here in the James Weldon Johnson Park. Remember, do all the good you can in all the ways you can, for all the people you can, in all the ways you can, while you can. And remember, happy celebration for the Emancipation Day. Yay!
10: Gainesville, Florida is very excited to be celebrating Florida's Emancipation Day. This year, 2021, we will have this big celebration on May 22nd at 10 a.m. via Zoom. Gainesville has taken on a month-long of celebrations that they're calling Journey to Juneteenth. We're partnered here at the Con Club Museum with the city in preparing our May 20th celebration, so that we start off knowing that we are Floridians and our day is May 20. So join us on May 22nd at 10 a.m. via Zoom. You can find the link at our website at cottonclubmuseum.com under events. We all over will celebrate with music and history, drumming, dancing, harmonica playing, and much more. So we hope that you will be with us on May 22nd, 10 a.m. via Zoom.
2: Hi again, it's Vanessa here, your podcast host. What an event, you guys. I hope you were entertained and enlightened. We're so very thankful to all the people and organizations across the state of Florida, who made this event possible. And a special thanks to Leon County Government for partnering with us to present this program. One quick note about those incredible performances. During that song at the end by the Godby High School a cappella choir, We Shall Overcome, there's one awesome part that y'all missed since you were listening to this over audio only the Omega Lamplighters joined in with their step performance. I have been hearing about them for so long, and they did not disappoint. You can still watch it too. We have a link to the full video of this program on our website at villagesquare.us squarecast. So you can just go there and jump to the end of the video to see the Omega Lamplighters along with the Gobby Choir. As we close out today, we invite you to think about what freedom means to you, and we'd love to hear from you. You can visit our website at villagesquare.us to contact us directly or for links where you can engage with us on social media. And that's also where you can sign up for our newsletter, which is the best way to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Speaking of what's happening at the Village Square, in our last podcast episode we announced our first ever summer read, High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. And we also announced that Amanda will be joining us this fall. Check out our previous episode of Village Squarecast to hear all about it. And go pick up that book today. You can get it at Midtown Reader if you're in Tallahassee. And y'all listen, it's an incredible book. I am now two thirds of the way through and I'll basically run any errand for anyone right now just for the chance to get back in the car and continue listening to that book. All right, we have an exciting lineup of programs coming to you this summer on Village Squarecast thanks to a partnership with the Florida Humanities Council. We're so thankful to Florida Humanities for supporting us in sharing these programs with more of our fellow citizens so that we can all help bring civility back to America. Make sure you're subscribed to Village Squarecast so you'll see these programs when they come out. All right, that's it for today. We appreciate you joining us for Created Equal, Stretching Towards Freedom. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast...